This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news the week of June 12th, 2021. Looks like there's a fear of brewing at Brewdog. Seems like something might stop seltzers. Bars. Investment fund set up for... No, stick with us. This won't be boring. And a German phoenix rises from the ashes. All of this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And that's it. That's all we've got. Uh, yeah, so let's, uh, we're down, we're down a person, so let's go ahead and just talk about some news. Starting off, BrewDog is accused of breeding a, quote, culture of fear, end quote, by ex-employees from CNBC. Uh Dateline, London. Sorry. Uh, no, Brewdog, the independent craft brewer based in Scotland, has been accused of breeding a culture of fear in an open letter by former employees. The letter published Wednesday said Brewdog had been had been built on a cult of personality. Those always end well. Uh, it went on to say that by placing personalities at the center of your messaging, you have inflated egos and fostered a culture within craft uh, craft beer that deifies the founders that gives weight to sexist and misogynistic brewers who claim to stand up uh, be standing up for free speech just when you thought last week's episode was when we hit our our downer point no one is safe yeah I I don't think we mentioned brewdog in that one but I felt like as we were saying like I mean maybe maybe they don't suck no everyone sucks <laughs> It is said that uh, it it said the letter uh, being what it is. Uh, it said that Brewdog had spent years claiming to be a top employer, but ask former staff what it thinks about those claims, and you'll most likely be laughed at. Uh, they go on to mention they were founded in 2007 in Aberdeenshire, Scotland. Does everywhere in the United Kingdom have Shire. these? Just oh yes, no Aberdeenshire. I, uh, as long as they say it like that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it has seen success thanks to the popularity of its craft beers and has been expanding into the U.S. Back, starting back in 2015. Uh, the letter includes a section addressing uh, BrewDog co-founder James Watt directly, stating that uh, it was with him that the responsibility for this rotten culture lies. Uh, Watt tweeted a response to the letter on Thursday, saying that it was, quote, so upsetting but so important. Uh, he goes on to say, our focus is not on contradicting or contesting the details of that letter, but to listen, learn, and act. Why uh, it said BrewDog was sorry it would reach out to both past and present employees to learn more. Hmm. I, hmm. My, my, 
here's the thing. I I I want to say, oh good, he's listening to people and they they want to try and do better going forward. But something about that phrasing says someone in a PR firm said, look, here's how we start to try to fix this in a post, you know, yeah, whatever climate. Don't say, don't contradict them. Don't necessarily say that they are right, but just say that you are learning and trying to move forward. As you do. Yes. Um, I love that they have to warn and, and say like, well, our, our we, what we want to do here is not contradict anyone. It's like, duh. <laughs> I mean, what they, okay. What they want to do is say, no, let's contradict them. What they're being, what I feel like they're being told to do is, Hey, yeah, that's going to get you more trouble than it's worth. Uh, however, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he is legitimately wanting to do better. Hmm. But my brain is somewhat cynical. Uh, over 70 BrewDog employees signed the open letter to the independent brewer along with uh, another 45 former staff members who, quote, did not feel safe to include either their names or their initials. See, that's a <laughs> – there's a red flag. <laughs> former. Like they don't even currently work there. Yeah. Uh, the letter, the letter stated that it did not, uh, it didn't matter which part of the business the ex-employees worked in. They all felt that in our day-to-day working lives, there were, be- uh, there were at best hurdles and at worst genuine safety concerns. Jesus. To put bluntly, a single shared experience of the former Saft is a residual feeling of fear, the letter read. Uh, wow. in addition yeah, in addition to claims about BrewDog's culture, the letter accuses the business of having pursued marketing vanity projects and claimed that the brand had brewed an eco-friendly Saison type of pale ale, a type of pale ale with glacier water, half of which was dumped down the drain, so the proceeds could go to charity, but only after the donation was slashed because it was too much. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that sucks. And they said vanity projects. The first thing I thought of, though, was like, yeah... I mean, this is the this is the place that you know made their name, putting. Uh, oh, the the taxidermy putting, thing. Yeah, like putting uh putting beer instead of a, a snoot, or snoot, yeah. snoke. No, that's a villain <laughs> from Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Stoat. Stoat sounds right. I don't yeah. Know. Either uh, way. Type of squirrel. Yeah, they do. They definitely. God, so much of this just sounds like it could totally ring true and i just that's so upsetting like can we uh, we just have someone that doesn't suck right Um, that's that's where i'm at i also like i'm always my first thought is just like god old white guys can you just stop (laughs) look i want to make i was going to make a joke like look when you when you get used to being old and white for so long and getting your way yeah <laughs> you have no concept of how anything affects anyone else. It's I mean that's just truth. I I would assume. Uh Well, uh let's get into some better news. Slightly Hard less seltzers depressing. are dying. <laughs> better that's, depending that's the... on your perspective. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, when we were selecting stories, this may have been chosen just so I could, you know, be proven right from my my discussion uh, last last I think in the main show or a couple weeks ago or 
where I was like, I think maybe the hype of hard seltzers is dying. I mean, at some point, you got to be right, you know? Sooner well, or later. So, uh, yeah. So, now this says it's slowing at bars. Uh, well, because people are going back to bars. Back so, to bars, yes. Uh, an important point on this, not specifically from the story, but I was listening to another podcast today, um, the the Verge cast. There are other podcasts? I know, really? Uh, but so, uh, Nilay Patel is the editing, editor-in-chief? I don't know. He was saying that it feels very much like the pandemic is over in the U.S. and it is not over. It's just that no. the U.S. is so about the U.S., and not aware of the rest of the world yes it's like things are not done they just feel super done we so, look we vaccines have gotten out and we are we are clinging on to whatever it's whatever you know thing yeah. we can tell ourselves to go out there i've been i have technically been cleared not to wear my mask at work i still wear it just to, just as an example to someone else to go like you should be wearing one of these no one's listening to me but i still do it the, the and well the well, okay, we don't have time to get into that right now, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the the going back to bars thing just reminded me of that, and it's like, this is happening, but you know, it's a thing. Uh, so hard seltzer consumption is slowing as consumers head back to bars and restaurants during the COVID, quote, recovery. I'm going to quote that. Uh, but that downturn should be temporary. So hard seltzers, fizzy alcoholic beverages that have taken off with consumers looking for a lighter alternative to beer, wine, and spirits are still relatively new to the market. Can you say that at this point? I mean, I, I yeah, relative. you put relatively in there, well, and it's fine. Relative yeah. to how long beer has been on the market, yeah. Okay, that's true. That's fair. Okay. Uh, so many consumers had yet to become loyal fans before the pandemic upended life around the globe. With that in mind, analysts think there's still plenty of room for the category to grow. Uh, we quote, we believe the decline is in regular consumers is driven by the gradual reopening of on-premise channels where hard seltzer is currently under-indexed versus beer, wine, and spirits. The impact yeah. of this channel shift may prove somewhat transitory as respondents in late May were eager to return to their pre-COVID behaviors channels where hard seltzer has yet to establish a foothold. I mean that that tracks in a certain amount of logic, right? Like no one's going, no one's like, oh, the bars are opening back up to like being able to sit down at the bar. No one's saying, ah, I can't wait to get it back there and get me a white claw. Exactly. Like that's. They're like, I want a nice, I want to sit down at a bar, get have, a nice poor beer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Or 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 a a cocktail that you're not gonna feel like making at home. That's for sure. Want to go? You want to go to the bar, sit there, get a nice. Nice pint, and just silently drink it while communicating with absolutely no one. Or watching a game or whatever. I don't know how things look. Work. Look, your your version sounds entirely too too friendly. <laughs> you have to talk to people still. Um, <coughs> so no, I just look at bartenders and nod, and they just get, bring me beer. <laughs> well, so beverage companies like Boston Beer uh, and Molson Coors have turned their focus to hard seltzers as their popularity has taken off. White Claw, a big name in the category, is privately held. That's a thing to remember constantly, because I still wonder if that's going to change at some point. But uh, Bound to. I digress. Uh, Molson Coors announced last month that it will quadruple production in Canada, where hard seltzers are a new entry, and beer brewers around the world are launching new hard seltzer products at a fast clip. Um, 
UBS report in March forecasts that hard seltzer sales will reach $15 billion by 2025. I think that's probably still accurate. Um, yeah, I was going to say that that's worldwide. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that. pretty much. Although it's still bigger here than anywhere else, I think. Um, UBS data from the report published Tuesday shows that consumption of hard seltzer on a regular or somewhat regular basis has slipped since February. The report shows that a lack of availability at places like bars, restaurants, and venues is a big factor in consumption. Um, There's a quote here. So while we continue to believe that over the long term, hard seltzer will under-index other alcohol categories on-premise, we expect that the dominant brands, White Claw, Truly, will command an outsized share of that opportunity. Um, again, this is from the analysts. So uh, on-premise, of course, referring to um, places where people can actually get alcohol, like bars and restaurants, um, as opposed to going and buying. I, I think that's what White Claw and Truly and all that are really about. They're, You're going to go to the store and get those and, and have a barbecue. They're, yeah, well, I said they're about going to a gas station, buying a, buying a few cans, and then going to go immediately drive. I please don't say. That. I don't encourage <laughs> this. As a result, you, you know, should not drink seltzers. You know, someone's <laughs> done it though. Oh, um, I'm sure. No. So, uh, yeah. So they they go on about like it basically sounds like there's going to be hope for the, for the hard seltzers, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an the, issue right now. The, you know? It's it's they're going to, they're trying to explain the inevitable like dip in the the curve of its growth. Yeah. And it's not even going to be like a big dip. It's going to be kind of like, like, oh, this, you know, traded down for a minute and then popped right back up. In a... And and it does note that on here, so there's there's another quote from them, but basically they're saying that they ex- they do expect the sales to, to grow because of the return of group gatherings. So that is another thing to consider because it's getting into summer. Um, they are kind of like a perfect, I mean, hell we um memorial day weekend we were at my mother-in-law's and my sister-in-law brought a case of white claw mm. and she was like do you want one and i was like whatever yeah <laughs> it, was, it was like 90 degrees outside we were outside Emmett was playing in the water and it's like it's 90 degrees she handed you a claw and you went well ain't no laws <laughs> i had a watermelon flavor it was fine uh it's not my jam but you know what it was there so there's that uh but th- and that's the thing like if you you're gonna have people going to birthday parties and barbecues and whatever during the summer where people can finally gather again, I it probably is gonna spike a bit, you know. Yeah. Well, if uh, if you're looking into investing in their stocks, maybe do it now uh, before before the before the summer months really take off. Uh, and if you're looking for other investments, maybe you should look at uh, Fawn Weaver, the black whiskey business pioneer who has launched a $50 million investment fund. Is that her actual name? I believe so. Because that's awesome. It's a, yeah, it's a good name. <laughs> uh, founder and CEO of Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, Fawn Weaver has announced the formation of a $50 million venture capital fund intended to seed minority-founded and owned businesses the Uncle Nearest Venture Fund. Uh, And it will provide financial support and assistance to businesses that are often excluded from traditional funding sources, which is really cool. Like, I'm on board with all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Weaver's business acumen has led Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey to become the fastest-growing American whiskey brand in the U.S., according to a March press release. Admittedly, I'm assuming it's their press release, so they may have something to say about that. But anyway, uh, now she's keen to use her experience to boost other black-owned businesses with capital injections. Capital injections, by the way, is not a great phrase. It makes me think of lethal injections, which is a capital punishment. The word injection, not a great way to go, really. Uh, I mean, I can't think of a single form of injection that that a single phrase that would be that benefits from injection, like hot beef. No. Yeah. Anyway, the investment fund has already committed two million dollars to each uh, to each to two minority-owned businesses, Jack from Brooklyn and Equano 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 Rum Company. Uh, sure, I got nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, Jackie Summers, uh, touted as the first black person with a license to distill in the U.S. post-prohibition, is the force behind Jack from Brooklyn uh, and its signature uh, Sorel Liqueur. Equano uh, is is named for an African abolitionist, uh, Olada Equano. I am very sorry. I can't. This is this is how we work. This is you know. <laughs> uh, no, I do not mean disrespect. I just cannot say anything. Uh, the brand is committed to human rights, diversity, and representation, working uh, conditions, and sustainability. Uh, the fund is expected to end uh, to close by the end of June. So if you've if you got you got something to pitch, do it now. Uh, while the name Jack Daniels is well known even to those who do not regularly enjoy whiskey, Nathan Green, uh, better known as Uncle Nearest, has remained relatively obscure. We restarted her brand in a way to honor Green's contribution to the industry and to racial equality. Born in 1820 in Tennessee, uh, in Tennessee Green was a master distiller, was the first African American uh, to hold the position, and taught young Jack Daniels how to distill whiskey. Which we've I was talked like, about yeah. on our episodes. <laughs> we have. I was like, I am. I, I like Nathan Green. Like, yeah, he was the guy who. Tra-. Like, I was like, that's right. Trained Jack Daniels. Uh, the real distiller. Uh, how to distill whiskey before becoming a brand's initial master distiller. His son, George Green, continued in his footsteps, and seven generations of the family helped catapult Jack Daniels' brand at their whiskey distillation skills. Now Weaver is leading the way into progressive spirits industry uh, that has uh, that recognizes the integral role minorities played in distillation and recipe formulation. Yeah, because white folk didn't make a lot of different different alcohols. Mm. Mostly whiskey. It's all we made. Uh, while the success of their whiskey brand uh, brands market an exciting chapter in the world of whiskey, the new venture, venture friend promises to be the best yet. So I'm I'm really excited about uh, yeah about that because I'm just curious to see what's going to come out of that. And you know, the fact that she's done well enough to toss in a venture capital firm that's a uh, right. Uh, no, this is I'm yeah fully on board with for this. This is just I mean hey good news today you know. Hooray. Hey, so something that's not depressing. <laughs> Speaking of things that aren't depressing, uh, a 900-year-old Belgian brewery's come back from literally being burned to the ground. More on this, Brittany. <laughs> Again, keeping that that positive train rolling, right? Uh, so the beer brewing legacy at oh Grimbergen <laughs> Abbey in Belgium eh? uh, dates back nine centuries. The abbey was torched three times over the years as a result of war, 
But just like the phoenix that adorns its label, out of the ashes the brewery always arose. Now I can't I can't not hear uh, the Daft Punk uh, get lucky when I hear <laughs> Phoenix and Ashes and you want Phoenix from the Ashes. Oh wow! Da, 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 da. I, I Look, hear a different song entirely. Um, I, I mean that's fine. I, I like me some Daft. <laughs> Fair, but I, I like me some Daft Punk. Uh, so now 200 years later, after the last fire incident during the French Revolution, the, yeah, it's been a minute, uh, the, Abbey's, the Abbey Brewery's being resurrected once again. Once I would like to point out which French Revolution. I want to know. <laughs> well, 200 years There's, ago, so whatever that, I don't know. <laughs> there, does it limit it down? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm bad at history. Uh, Danish multinational brewer Carlsberg... Uh, joined forces with the Abbey to bring brewing back inside the walls for the first time since the 18th century fire. In celebration... What are they doing outside of their caverns? <laughs> That's Carl's bad. Sorry. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, in celebration <laughs> of the momentous occasion, Grimbergen is releasing three new beers. Grimbergen, <laughs> Grimbergen Magnum Opus Brute Beer, Grimbergen Ignis Quadruple, and Grimbergen Astrum Pale Ale. Okay, Names. so they've they've got a they've got a brute, fine, whatever, a very dry. I, I guess it, it's a magnum opus, so I guess it's a, it must be a good one for them. Oh, but no. the ignis quadruple makes me think it's a quad strong enough to be set fire. I also like the name ignis. <laughs> I don't know why. Because you like fire. Well, not really. Uh, <laughs> The Grimbergen Abbey dates back to 1128, when the lords of Grimbergen were granted permission to build the abbey by Norbert van Zanten. It's like Lords of Grimbergen sound like it should be like a board game. Either that or a metal band. (laughs) (laughs) This is where my head goes, I guess, but still. Uh, Well, he said that, I'm just pretty like, I would like to say like... Like how they would announce themselves, I was like, I can't speak like Norwegian or, or German. Oh yeah, it's definitely a, a German like themed death metal band, like a, a like a Viking or troll or or you know whatever dwarf themed something <laughs> like that. Uh, I say that it Dicky, sounds Dicky weird. Hole. Yeah, I was to say that's a thing, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the fathers began brewing soon after, but the original building was lost to fire during the War of Grimbergen, of course, in 1142, and rebuilt soon after. The religious wars of the 16th century were the cause of the second conflagration in 1566. Persecution for their religious beliefs prevented the fathers from returning to Grimbergen for 30 years. The abbey was reconstructed in 1629, and the order took on the phoenix for its logo, accompanied by the motto, Ardit nec consumitur, which translates to burned but not destroyed. Ooh, that's nice. I, I like that phrase. I yeah, I'm just looking at that in Latin going, I I don't know. I mean it's it's I, I you know what? Never mind. I don't know the Latin for the word burned, so that actually may be correct. Hmm. Uh, the final incident occurred in seventeen ninety eight when the violence of the French Revolution spread to religious orders and all material goods owned by churches were liquidated by the masses. The ensuring Ensuing fire ended the Abbey Brewery's existence for more than two centuries. I think that actually maybe they literally the first revolution. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, 17. What year did they say? 17. 1750. No, 1798. Sorry. Oh, okay. No, this is going to be like the second or third. It, it's, it's, they've had the Republic and it's, it's collapsed. So this is like second or third. Mm. Yeah. The, during a period of like two or three years, they go through a lot of governments. <laughs> well, yeah, that happens. Um, now back to it, the... Do you think you get a bad case of Napoleons? <laughs> right. Uh, so Grimbergen aims to com- combine ancient techniques documented in books held in the Abbey's library with innovative modern technologies to produce limited edition craft beers. With almost a millennium of experience and a wealth of history contained within the Abbey's walls, Carlsberg CEO Says Hart is con- confident that the new project will be a success, declaring in a recent press release, quote, we believe this beautiful Abbey Brewery will take us and beer drinkers around the world on an incredible journey of flavor discovery. This would be one of those that's going to be a, a Abbey beer, but not necessarily a uh, Trappist beer. Because one, right, they're not right. Trappist monks that are there, but two, but the, 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 that doesn't sound like there's any monks. Is, yeah, yeah there's, there's no monks that are involved in making this. You know, I that hate I to know say, of. like, Carlsberg is actually one of those imports that I'm still like, yeah, I'll drink Carlsberg. <laughs> like, I when, mean, when the World Cup was going on and, and Carlsberg was kind of more everywhere because of like the, the sponsorships and whatnot, I was like, yeah, all right. It's better than Heineken, like for a green everyone's, beer. Everyone's playing football. Yes. Also, because uh, I, I've just got that on the brain because of Ted Lasso. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I, I want to watch Ted Lasso so bad because they're. I haven't gotten to watch it in a while, but I, I do enjoy me some some British Premier League soccer. So like literally that show is something that's like I, I want to watch this. I, I actually enjoy the Premier League. I want to get so the clip that I sent to you guys, I really want to get that as a sounder. It's like, how do you take your tea? Usually back to the counter because someone's made a horrible mistake. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, there's no good segue here. So let's talk about the most popular gro- uh most popular grown hops in the U.S. All right. Uh, we've got a uh, got a chart, which is not very good in uh, for for audio, <laughs> yeah. but we can kind of notice some trends since 2015 till now. Which keep in mind that was, that was six a, years ago. That was a good minute ago. <laughs> Uh, much like craft beer, the po- uh, production of the trends in hops are ever evolving. A consumer taste change and produ- uh, producers forecast meet uh, meet future demands. Acreage devoted to a specific varieties uh, shift significantly over the last five years, according to a report released by the Hop Growers of America, the HGA. Uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, the PNW, remains the one constant variable. The region continues to dominate the industry. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, counting for approximately oh ninety nine percent of domestic production. Wow, ninety nine percent. That's insane. A significant statistic, given the U.S. is the largest hops producing nation in the world. That's a good fact. It makes sense. I mean, yeah. I mean, it it makes sense, but it's like, uh, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, since, since 2015, the hop, total hop acreage has increased from 43,633 acres to 500, sorry, to 58,641 uh, acres. 
Man, imagine if it was 500. And... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, while yields are down last year as a result of heavy smoke cover from record wildfires, huh, darndest thing that, total production still exceeded 103 million pounds in the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. At a more granular level, uh, the report highlighted where the brewer and drinker preferences currently lie. I feel like I, I if if this were like you know video, I'd have like a a chart behind me and a, a <laughs> long uh, like one of those pointers I could slap the board with. Like what? approximately eleven thousand acres planted. Citra continues to be the leading variety planted in the region. Uh, CTZ uh, held on to second place, but acreage fell slightly year to year, while Mosaic is well petitioned to continue its rise after the fruity variety catapulted from fifth to third last year. Hmm. I do like me some mosaic. Yeah, the citra thing makes total sense. I mean, yeah. especially... No, yeah, I was going to say, especially for this time of year, but no, it's just it just makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Simcoe re- remained relatively flat in fourth place, while the former perennial leader of the pack, Cascade, Continue to drop out of flavor with hop farmers dropping to fifth place. Uh, which, yeah, Simcoe used to be. Simcoe is the one I don't like. Okay, I was like, Simcoe, and that might you know what this does track with our 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 greater love of IPAs as they drop out some of these ones that we, yeah. you know, used to not enjoy. Uh, we do have a newcomer to the list, El Dorado, known for its musky pineapple flavor, crept up to 10th place. Uh, the newest flavor of varieties look to be continues, uh, contenders in the future. Data indicates plantings have shifted from 50% alpha bitter hops in 2012 to nearly 78% aroma hops in 2020. Hmm. I feel like we're getting further away from further away from that good old uh, – Good old uh, IPA. Yeah, I don't recall said, El Dorado. Like I know I've had something with it in it, but well, we've had plenty of things with it in it. But I guess I'm not, you know, like because some of them, like like Simcoe, for example, definitely yeah. stand out if you have it in something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, they pulled most of this from uh, uh, a chart. Which, if you look at the chart that over is, the last five years, that stresses me out. Is madness. <laughs> like I, I feel like someone needs to go back into Excel and be like, "Whoa, whoa, guys!" Oh, look, I get, I get why the chart is what it is because it's it's showing like acreage that's being made, yeah, and their rank, but it's just a bit. Also, yeah, it just it just can't. I just can't. Also, it's sort of funny to see like Nugget Hop was high up there at one point back in 2014 and just went, nope, get that out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. I mean, Nugget Hop is there for, you know, bittering and getting it there, but not not what you want for your flavor. I think. I don't know. Someone ask Casey. Casey? <laughs> All right. Well, All right. <laughs> to, to end the show, we're rounding out with this week in heist white heists yeah well less less heist more sting this week in what's hmm. we need a uh, alcohol crime but like there's a better word for it you know we need a uh we need a police song something with sting mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay yeah something to work on so 
Uh, over the past three years, global authorities collaborated to hatch a plot that would be right at home in a Hollywood blockbuster, complete with undercover operatives, informants, and a sophisticated encryption tool that tricked criminals into revealing their most confidential secrets. More than 800 <laughs> By the way, this tool is the funniest, funniest thing to me. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, so more than 800 arrests have been made as a result of sting operations conducted simultaneously around the world, resulting in the seizure of millions of dollars in cash, in addition to a slew of luxury items, including weapons, watches, sports cars, and wine collections. Yeah, no, all we got over here, man. Yeah, we just we just raided this place. What's in there? Some katanas, a Rolex. As a car made a, ro- a, a Rolexus. <laughs> Jeez. And, uh, and, some, and some wine. You gonna drink any of that? I thought I'd melt down that Rolexus and drink it. <laughs> God, Rolex. Okay. Law enforcement from 17 different countries under the direction of the FBI participated in joint investigations known as Trojan Shield. Oh, God. In Europe and the United States. And a special operation Ironside in Australia. As reported, I'm, I should be thinking of like an old ship. What I'm instead thinking of is a 70s cop drama <laughs> where a cop in a wheelchair is solving crimes. Yeah. And you go, yep, that's the kind of show that you could pitch and get on the air in the 70s. Pretty much. Well, as reported by the Washington Post, the efforts netted eight tons of cocaine. <laughs> 22 tons of marijuana. This is tons, by the way. Let's all think about this for a second. 22 tons of marijuana and hashish, two tons of methamphetamine and amphetamine, 250 firearms, 55 luxury vehicles, and more than $48 million in cash and cryptocurrency. First of all, those drug dogs lost their lost their mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Second of all, you can't tell me with 55 luxury vehicles there wasn't at least one Rolexus. <laughs> that means somebody had to have gotten something together, right? Uh, amongst... You can't even drive that. It's not even the point. God, I hate you, Ben. <laughs> uh, amongst the treasure trove of high-priced items and status symbols recovered are what is being described as two complete sets of Penfold's Grange wine. Penfold's Grange is considered the most coveted and valuable Australian wine, highly revered for the quality and consistency of its Shiraz-based blend. If the sets are truly complete and include the original 1951 vintage that was never commercially released, (laughs) each set could be worth as much as $431,000, the price paid at auction in 2020. Jesus. Wow. Also, a a 1951 vintage is like, oh yeah, no, it's the original. It came out before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's like not that long ago, and I just, the Eddie Izzard thing. 50 years ago. Years ago. No one was alive then. <laughs> uh, and today's track of uh, Eddie Izzard <laughs> references. Okay. Um, Let's put it on the board. <laughs> yeah. Criminal organizations utilize the. Oh, hold on. I just, this was on DTNS. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this is the thing I was talking about. Like yeah. this, this is what uh, makes me laugh. The Anom app to direct narcotics transfers, contract killings, and fraudulent activities. Unbeknownst to the perpetrators, the encrypted app was sending every message directly to the FBI, which was securely or which is secretly controlling the software. Agents were tasked with filtering through 27 million messages in 45 languages over an 18-month period. 
I mean, this is literally them putting out the, you know, putting out, it's like, okay, what if we just got them to catch themselves? Yeah. We put out an app app that says, hey, I need you to kill someone for me. And they'll, they'll try to talk with each other about this, and then we just arrest everyone. Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds like a good plan. You think think the criminal app market's going to bottom out after this? Because uh, who's going to trust who's going to trust one anymore now? Well, yeah, like nobody. I, I so they they had some other details on this on the DT on on DTNS and because uh, they obviously they talked about like the technology bit behind it. So it was like it was it was run by some other company and it was like it was essentially like a thing where the FBI took it because. Obviously, it was it was it was doing stuff like this to begin with, but then the FBI is like, "Wait a minute, you know," and use they it went, themselves. Listen here, you idiots! You can't be putting this out there. People will give it. We'll have to arrest all those people. We could arrest all those people. You work for us now. Basically, yeah. It's like we're just gonna take confiscate this and use it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that is the like one of the craziest stories in a while, honestly. Like it. It, it affected all the sectors. <laughs> so we've got alcohol. We've got just the, the whole cryptocurrency thing, which is another reason they covered it on DTNS and the fact that it was an app to begin with. Um, it's just, it's insane. And enough and enough, co- and enough cocaine to give Tony Montana an erection. <laughs> uh, the other Not enough I- to kill him. That man would snort a whole mountain of it. <laughs> it, took, it took gunfire to kill that man. Right. Uh, the, the other thing on DTNS they were saying is like, to get into the app, it, they made it to where like it did seem like it was you know very low key because you had to have an invite so mm-hmm. somebody had to send the invitation to somebody else like you couldn't just get in uh, oh, and, even, and even then there was like rules. yeah and even then there was like a code there was there was a whole thing around it and it was like it was promised like encryption obviously it wasn't but like it's it was very encrypted <laughs> it's just so happens <laughs> just so happens the government had the key. Yeah, you encrypt it as many times as you want. If they have the key to figure it out, they're like, "All right, hey, look, we're in." Yeah. Uh well, so uh, so it wasn't all depressing stories this this time. Uh, only a, a couple of issues <laughs> on that one, but otherwise some uplifting stuff. And then we had a you know this week in in uh, alcohol crime dramas. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's always a fun sector to be in. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we appreciate everyone sticking around for this strange uh, only two of us episode. <laughs> Just the two of us. <laughs> you knew I was going to do that. <laughs> I, yeah. Some, back of my mind. I knew it was coming. So uh, <laughs> we'd like to remind everyone this is our news only show, but we do a weekly long form show also discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, please go to patreon.com slash have a drink show and we will see you again another couple weeks for the next live episode where all of us are hopefully there once again i'm Brittany lee walker i'm justin frazier and that's it <laughs> bye <laughs>
Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>